Take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 3, if you would. Ruth chapter 3. In the world of artistic expression, uh, when we, as human beings, create things, uh, they typically, not always, but sometimes they point to things that are higher, right? They point to things that are greater than just the story that's being told or the piece of art that you're looking at. I remember as a high school kid, uh, I had to read The Scarlet Letter. I don't know if that's a a book that you have to read in school anymore, but I had to read it. And uh, I remember the teacher telling me that this this is a story, but it it points to kind of the interplay, uh, you know, that, that we have as human beings between good and evil, righteousness and sin, uh, revenge and shame and guilt and you know all that those concepts are are in the Scarlet Letter and I I also remember uh, um, later in my life watching a movie like like The Godfather or something like that it points to uh, it, it it talks about um, how uh, you can have good intentions but if you continue to do things sinfully sin becomes a trap, right? It becomes a trap for you and you can't get out of it if you watch a movie like that. And then I remember watching uh, uh, Herbie the Love Bug and how that, you know, prophesied self-driving cars. (laughs) Anyway, the text that we're looking at today is amazing. And the reason that the text that we're looking at today is amazing is because here we have, if you, if, you have a, if you have a hard time or if you struggle with the unity of God's word, uh, this is a really good chapter for you. Because here's why I say this. Let's just say that we, uh, that we take the scholars at their word and Samuel wrote the book of Ruth. He wrote it based on real events that happened. So these people, Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, these are all real people, right? And yet this chapter very vividly points to something higher. And that's what we're going to think about today as we work our way through it. So the big question we're going to wrestle with is to what future reality does Ruth 3, Ruth chapter 3, direct our attention? So let's get into it. Let me first start off by reading the text itself. Ruth chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, so she's talking to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? While it may be that it may be well with you, is Boaz not our relative with whom with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? She said, And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made 
this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring me the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went to the, and then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then he told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This ends the reading of God's word. Now, what we're going to see in this text is a story that's unfolding, but also, I think, a very, very vivid picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's get into it. The first thing that we see in this text is preparation, verses 1 through 5. This is where Naomi is talking to Ruth about seeking rest and also gives her advice on preparing herself to go down and meet Boaz at the winnowing floor. Now, uh, let's take a knee here for a minute mentally and just have some uh, agricultural training. Okay, so you go out into the barley field, you've got a sickle or something in your hand and you, you grab some of the barley and you chop it off, right? And you take some barley and you put it together in bundles or sheaves, Okay, and uh, then uh, you you would then take those bundles and you put them together into a shock. Is what I call it, a shock, it, with the with the heads of the barley sticking up, and you bundle that together. And you might leave that in the field for a time to let the sun dry it. Um, you want you don't want to bring moist grain into your storehouses because if you do, there might be enough moisture in the grain to allow it to sprout, and that would be really bad. Um, that's a really bad thing when that happens, like on the farm. If, if, you're, if, you're, if the corn in your bin is too moist, it'll sprout, and that'll be really bad news. Um, so you want to get it nice and dry, and then you take it to the threshing floor, which is kind of like a, imagine a, a hard, in our world, a concrete floor, but in their world, perhaps a stone floor that they've built some sort of a shelter over that's kind of open air a little bit. This may have been something that's community use, or there may be threshing floors scattered around the area, but um, that's where they would go, and they would they would beat out the grain. They would they would after they would take those shocks, and they would they would beat it to get the husk off of the grain, the kernel of barley itself, and then they would winnow the grain, meaning they would they would toss it up, use a implement, and toss it up in the air, and the breeze or the wind coming through would blow the chaff away, and what you would be left with is a heap of barley or a heap of wheat or grain, some other grain. And then you would, you know, the threshing floor, if it was a community use thing or whatever, you would, you would take your grain and you would transport it back to 
your storehouses on your property or whatever. And so that's kind of how this works. So uh, it's the time of the barley harvest and the men are at the threshing floor winnowing grain. They're doing that last step of the process before they put it in their storehouses. They're removing the chaff. All right, so there you go. There's your farm, farm lesson for the day. Preparation. So here's what we see in the text. Ruth trusted Naomi's instruction to prepare for Boaz, okay? Now, um, one of the interesting things that we see in this text is that up until now, the emphasis has been kind of on Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Remember, she made that sevenfold commitment. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. There's nothing but death that will separate you and I. We saw that in chapter one, and then we saw her live that out in chapter two through her actions. And now, instead of Ruth being concerned about Naomi, we see Naomi concerned about Ruth. She says in verse one, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? That word rest is the same exact word that is used in chapter one, verse nine, when Naomi and Orpah and Ruth are on the road headed to Bethlehem and Naomi turns around to her two daughters-in-law and says to them, go back to your mother's house that you may find rest with your husband. They were, their husbands were dead. They were gonna go, she was saying, go back into your mother's house and get remarried that you might find rest in, your, in the home of your husband. So what kind of rest was Naomi interested in? Well, she was interested in lots of things, probably for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to have companionship, for her to have someone to support her and take care of her and, and, and all these types of things. Um, and it's interesting that rest in general is a big concept in God's word, right? What kind of rest are we seeking? As, as human beings, what kind of rest are we seeking in a sin-stained world where we're all headed to, unless Christ returns, we're all headed to death. What kind of rest are we seeking? Well, Jesus helps us to understand, right? He says in Matthew 11, come to me all you you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now let's talk about that for a minute in the whole context of rest. Jesus is not saying, clearly, he is not saying that if you follow him, your life will be easy. We know this because there's other places in God's word where it's explicitly told us that that's the case. Jesus says, for example, if you wanna follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. So following Jesus is not necessarily going to be a picnic. But compared to the alternative of being a slave to sin that leads to death and eternal separation from God in a place called hell, what Jesus comes offering us in the forgiveness of sin and peace with God is, can I just say, that's rest. That is true rest. We can live today with hope for eternity with him 
because our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And so this whole idea of rest is a big idea in God's word. Naomi is seeking rest for Ruth. Jesus comes offering rest to us. Now I want to talk to you just for a minute about the idea of a kins of a redeemer, right? This is a, a theme. And I told you last week, I, I advised you to read Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. So turn there now, and uh, there's going to be a quiz. It's under your seat. Everybody go under your seat and pull out the quiz. If you fail, you're out of the church. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse 5. So this is, okay, Deuteronomy is the Old Testament law. Remember, Israel is a theocracy. Their church and their state, are, or their religion and their state are all bound together into one. And so God gives them laws about what happens if somebody, somebody's husband dies. Here it is, chapter 25, verse five. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, that's the situation, there's no heir, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So you get the idea, the firstborn son of this union is going to be considered the offspring of the dead brother. This is the idea of a kinsman redeemer. Now, there's there's other things that'll be there's other things in this in this text. Let's just read on because this will come to play in chapter four of Ruth. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate and to the elders uh, to, up to the gate to the elders and say, "Now, just stop right there." If you want to do official business here in Delaware, uh, you might have to go get something notarized, like at the bank. You might have to visit a notary public, or you might have to go file something at the courthouse downtown. If you wanted to do official business in Israel at the time, you would go to the gate of the city, and you would go, to, that's where the elders sat, and doing something in front of them was kind of like doing it out in public and having it be all official. Okay, so, so he's saying, you're gonna do this official act. Okay, so you're gonna go up to the gate and you're gonna go to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull off his sandal, pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. I think we should renew this thing. <laughs> Could you imagine going to downtown in front of everybody or something and pulling somebody's sandal off their foot and spitting in their face? And, and she shall answer and say, so it shall be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house and the name of his house shall be called in Israel the house of him who has had his sandal pulled off. Now, that seems weird and strange to our 21st century sensibilities, but you have to understand that God was concerned for the perpetuation of each of the houses of Israel. He wanted them to have, 
He wanted each, each of the families to be perpetuated and have a name. That's how much he loved them. He wanted that to happen. And so he made this law for them to follow. And in relation to our text in Ruth, Boaz is one of the redeemers for Elimelech's family. They're of the same kin. So Boaz can do it. And now, interestingly, interestingly, one of the themes that we found in God's word in the Old Testament, how did the folks deal with their sin? Under the Old Testament law, they sacrificed animals, right? They sacrificed the blood of goats and sheep and all these kinds of things, bulls. But ultimately, what had to happen for our sin to be dealt with once and for all? God the Son had to take on human flesh. He had to become one of us. Hebrews 10.4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Just like Naomi had to find a, a, a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer for Ruth, for her family line, God had to put on flesh and become one of us to save us. It's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting point. Okay, with those things in mind, let's move on to the actual preparation here. The, now, I don't want to fall into a trap, okay? So guys, men in the audience, I just want to tell you right now, the point of what Naomi's advice to Ruth is, is not... Wives, you should really go home and pretty yourself up for your husband. That's not the point of this, okay? So don't go home, guys, and tell your, well, look look there, Naomi's telling her, get herself all gussied up. No, that's not the point. The point of Naomi's instructions to Ruth is about so much more than her exterior appearance. Boaz was an honorable man. But Boaz was also an older man than Ruth. And I don't know what the age difference was, but apparently the age difference was enough that Boaz, as an honorable man, was not going to make advances to Ruth. Because it maybe it would have been inappropriate to do so. As an older man, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to expect a younger woman to want to be my wife. And so the point of Naomi telling Ruth to wash and anoint herself and to put on, take off either her work clothes or her mourning clothes. You know, she was mourning over the death of her husband to take those clothes and put those aside and put on her cloak, which was probably her nicer attire. And to go to him was this, was to communicate in a very clear but appropriate way I'm interested in this relationship. When I was in high school, my wife, Tracy, who was not my wife at the time, wasn't my girlfriend at the time, at the time, uh, she found a way to make it very clear to me in a very subtle way, but appropriate, that she was interested in me. I was already interested in her, but knowing that she was interested in me made it much easier for the relationship to proceed forward. And of course it did. And, and, and we dated uh, for many years, five years, and then we got married, right? So this is what's going on. 
Naomi, a very wise woman, is instructing Ruth, you need to give him a clear signal that you're interested. So do these things. Do, you know, for, let's just put the shoe on the other foot. Let's say that you're a man and you want to, uh, to, to let a, a, lady, a lady know that you're interested in a relationship. There are appropriate but clear ways that you can make that known, right? You can, you can uh, take a special interest in her. You can buy her a gift. You can do lots of things to let her know, I'm interested in this relationship. So that's what's going on here. So that's what she did. She prepared. In the same way, when we come to Jesus, we need to also be prepared. We need to be prepared to turn away from our sin, to repent. You don't come to Jesus and say, I want eternal life, and I understand that your, your death made the payment for my sin, but I want to keep on sinning. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We come to Jesus and we come to him sincerely. And in order to do that, we, we must be prepared. I'm not saying perfectly. We're not going to do so perfectly. But we must be prepared to turn away from our sin. Acts 2, 28, Peter was asked, what, what, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, we prepare we prepare by saying, I'm, I am ready to stop doing life my way, my sinful way, and I am prepared to begin doing life your way, Lord. So there's a preparation process here. The second thing that we see in this text is submission. Look at verses 6 to 10. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. This reminds me of, of uh, Jacob. Not, is, uh, who was the one that married Leah? And Rachel and Leah. Yeah, Jacob. Remember? And he was supposed to marry Rachel. And he woke up, and there was... That's not cool. Kind of reminds me of that. Anyway, so Boaz wakes up and he's, you know, a woman's at his feet and he's, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord. I love how Boaz is like always bringing God into the conversation, right? I mean, we're seeing that. May, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after younger men. There it is. There's the age difference, whether poor or rich. Harvest time was a time of celebration uh, in, in Israel. In Deuteronomy 16, 13 through 15, talks about uh, one of the feasts, the Feast of Booths, as being a time at the end of harvest to come together and to celebrate. And, and I don't think we were at the Feast of Booths yet, but I think that the, the point that I'm trying to make is that harvest time is a happy time, and this was a part of the celebration, is they would work hard all day, and then they would have some, some nice things to eat and maybe have some drink, and then, and then it, the text says that they slept there. I'll talk about that in a second. But it's an especially happy time this season because the famine seems to be over, right? And so they're, they're enjoying their work, and they're enjoying their time together. Now, again, 
the men who are winnowing would often sleep at, at the threshing floor because as they were going through the process of this is probably a multi-day process and they were guarding their grain, right? Uh, they, they were just staying with it so that it wouldn't, it would be protected from thieves. I don't know if you've ever visited a foreign country. I've visited several. And, and in almost every foreign country that I visited, one thing is true. When the building materials arrive to build a person's house, from the minute, from the moment that those building materials arrive, the homeowner or the property owner typically hires a guard to sit there overnight lest their building materials get stolen, right? So uh, anyway, um, uh, that, that's why they were, probably why they were sleeping there was to guard the grain. Okay. Now we see that Ruth did exactly as Naomi told her to do. She went, she washed, she put on, she anointed herself, she put on uh, her cloak, she went down and she did, she uncovered his feet and did exactly what she said. So she submitted to Ruth's, you know, again, out of loyalty to Ruth, she submitted to what she said. And Ruth also made herself completely vulnerable to Boaz. Laying down, listen, this, this is a weird thing, right? You, you read this with our modern eyes and you think this is strange. She's laying down at his, she's going while he's asleep, uncovering his feet and laying down in very nicely dressed, perfumed and, and looking nice. She's laying down and she's sending a very clear signal to Boaz. I want to marry you. I'm interested in this relationship. I'm not interested in other men. I want to be your wife. In fact, this, this phraseology that she uses, spread your wings over me, basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, mean I'm take me for yourself. You know, I want to, I'm committing myself to you. Now, Boaz uh, seems to be grateful, right? Because that she's not gone after younger men. Boaz has taken a shine to her. That's true. You can see that from chapter two. He takes a special interest in her. But apparently there's an age gap between the two and he's grateful that she's not gone after younger men. So these things are, these things are, are part of what we see in the text. And, and again, by analogy, what we understand about the gospel is that we are to come to Jesus with the understanding that he is our only way to God. He's it. And we live in a very pluralistic society where everyone wants to believe that there's multiple ways to get to God or there's multiple ways to be saved. And Jesus makes it very clear through his life and his very words, that's not true. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, not a few, not one or two. This is a very exclusive passage in God's word. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to God except through me. Folks, we have to understand that we are completely unable to save ourselves and Jesus is the only one who can save. I've always thought that this is kind of a cheesy thing to do from the pulpit, but I'm gonna do it today because um, it fits. But there's an old hymn that we sing in the church. Uh, it's still sung in churches today. You probably know it. I'm only gonna read the first stanza of it. But this this hymn captures, I think, this thought. 
Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. When we come to Christ, we are rejecting our own desires and our own fleshly wants. And we're making a conscious choice to connect ourselves to someone greater, Jesus Christ. Are you submitting to Christ? Are you coming to him with that attitude of submission? The next thing we see in this text is listening. Listening. Look at verse 11. Boaz is talking, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you. Good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, which is kind of the strongest way that Boaz could talk. As the Lord lives, if God is real and, and as he exists, then I'll do it. So he's, he's making a commitment here. Uh, I'll do it. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet till morning, but arose before one could recognize another and said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. A few things to note here. Boaz listened to and obeyed, Ruth listened to and obeyed Boaz's instructions. And I also, I also find it interesting here that Boaz is still elevating Ruth, right? Still elevating Ruth. A couple different ways that he does that, right? First of all, he, he builds her up verbally by saying, I want you to know that all my fellow townsmen know that you're a worthy woman. That, that's got to be an encouraging thing to say to a Moabite, a foreigner. All of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And then we see this little tidbit that's, again, difficult to understand. He, he asks her to remain at his feet and sleep there until morning. Now, again, she's made herself completely vulnerable. If Boaz was a less worthy man, perhaps... Overcome by the moment, he might give in to temptation. He does not do that. He simply asks her to sleep at his feet till the morning. Now, why? Why did he do that? Well, there's a lot, there's lots of different reasons why. Maybe he wanted to just simply be close to her because he likes her. He loves her. And now she's reciprocated and said that she loves him too. And perhaps he just wanted to be close. But maybe there's a more practical reason, right? Maybe, maybe he wanted, he knew it was nighttime outside and he just wanted her to stay safe and not try to attempt to get back into the city at night. They didn't have flashlights. They didn't have street lights or anything like that. So just stay here, sleep here, and uh, then you can go in the morning. He wanted her to be safe. He had her best interest in mind. Don't know. He also wanted to guard her dignity. He told the workers right? He told the workers, don't tell, don't tell anybody that the woman was at the threshing floor. Now, had Boaz, here's a test question, had Boaz or Ruth done anything wrong? No, they hadn't done anything wrong. But because of the circumstances, Boaz 
did have a young lady, a younger woman sleeping at his feet that night. And though he didn't do anything wrong, people talk. You find that to be true? And this could have been misunderstood as a scandalous situation for the honor of Ruth. And so protecting that was important to him. And though they hadn't done anything wrong, he didn't want to scandalize her. So Boaz told his workers, keep this on the quiet. We also understand that we are to listen to and obey the word of God. This is part of the good news, right? We come to Christ and we hear and understand the word of God. Jesus said in uh, Matthew or in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? Now, can I just, if I could just preach here for just a moment. What I desperately want for Delaware Bible Church, what I desperately want for you, brothers and sisters, is to be the type of people that when we have a conversation or you have a conversation with a fellow believer and a fellow believer comes to you and says, look, you've got sin in your life, I can identify it because I can look into what the word of God clearly teaches and I can compare that with how you're living and they don't match. You need to change. You need to repent of that sin and move on. What I want for you to be as the type of person, I want for me to be the type of person to say, you're right. That's what the Bible says. I need to change. But unfortunately, we're living in a time where there are a lot of self-identified Christians out there who say, I love Jesus. I love his word. And when the rubber hits the road and someone who loves them, comes alongside them and says, look, I see what the word of God clearly teaches. I see your life and there's sin involved and you need to change for that self-identified Christian to start making excuses. Well, my friend says that I can do this. Other Christians are doing this. My therapist doesn't think that's a good idea that I do this. We need to be a people who listen to and obey the word of God and, no, and nothing else. That's, that's, that's our standard, the word of God, listening. A couple more points. The next thing we see is receiving, receiving. Look at verse 15. And he said, bring me the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her and she went into the city. Uh, now, remember last week I said that the, the amount of grain she took home was like a, five, a, a little bit more than a five gallon bucket. Some of your Bible translations might say that she got six of those. I don't think that's the case. I think she got six, six measures of a smaller unit of measure that was enough that she could carry. If, if, I, if I put six five-gallon buckets of grain on you, I'm not making it home. I don't know about you, I'm not making Maybe two, six, no, there's no way I'm making it home. So uh, I think it was a smaller, kind of a quart, six quart size units or something like that. That's not the point. The point is, I don't want to get wrapped up in the measurements here. The, the point is, is that Ruth received an abundant gift from Boaz. Why? Why? Well, there, we, we are forced to, to make some speculations, right? 
Perhaps this was just some assurance, kind of like earnest money given to Ruth saying, look, this is how serious I am about becoming this redeemer. Here's a gift kind of as a promissory note that I'm going to, I'm going to see this thing through. But it may be, and somebody brought up to me after first service, it may be you've got a woman, she's nicely dressed, she's young, and she's making her way home early in the morning. That doesn't fit. Culturally, that just wouldn't have fit. That, that might have scandalized her. And so Boaz gives her this grain kind of, a, oh, she's just hauling grain. <laughs> Perhaps it's, to, it's, it's so that when she is walking home, people will say, oh, she's just, she's just hauling grain. She's got a perfectly legitimate reason to be out at this hour. We don't know. But the point is that she received an abundant gift from Boaz. And folks, we, we, when we come to Christ, we receive tremendous gifts, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, and also the promised Holy Spirit, right? To come into our lives and be the agent of change, to convict us of our sin and to transform us into the image of Christ. And so we see in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We receive that gift. And again, that's something that you, you must receive. Jesus offers the gift of salvation. He offers the gift of the forgiveness of sin. But you must receive it. Have you done so? And then finally, we see the last thing we see is, is trusting, trusting. We see, let, let me just read verses 16 to 18 again. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? You know, Ruth, Naomi knew what was going on. Naomi knew that Ruth was going to present herself to Boaz in such a way that was appropriate, but clear, I'm interested in this relationship, right? How did you fare? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. By the way, always a good idea, guys. Don't go. When you go to your mother-in-law's houses, bring a gift, you know. That's just general marriage advice there. Uh, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In other words, Ruth had to, she was done. There was nothing more she could do. She had made her intent clear that she intended to be in relationship with Boaz, but she had to then trust that Boaz was going to complete the work of becoming the Redeemer. There's nothing more she could do. She had to trust that Boaz was going to be a man who was going to finish the work. And like that, like that, we, we who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin, we are now trusting him to complete the work of redemption, to fulfill what he said he was going to do. Paul wrote about it in Philippians 1.6, right? He said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When we come to Christ, by the way, uh, I know I have heard of folks and I know folks who, who have said to themselves, I need to wait until my life is more on track, until I'm sinning less or whatever, until I can come to Christ. That is not the invitation that Jesus extends. He says, come all you are who are weary and heavy laden, right? Come as you are, basically, you know, come. 
And though we come to Christ at the time that we do, his work in our lives is not yet complete. I wasn't perfect the day I trusted Jesus Christ, and I'm still not perfect. The Holy Spirit has come into my life, and I'm, he is now using my marriage, my family, the circumstances of life, my physical health or lack thereof. He's using all of these circumstances of life to chisel off the hard edges that need to go in me to take a stick of dynamite and to stick it in the crack over here that needs to be blown out of there and blow it out of there. To to refine me and you in areas in which we need that work done and to, to bring new growth in areas where it doesn't yet exist. That's the work that God continues, is doing and continues to do in each and every one of our lives And we have to trust him that he's going to continue that work throughout our lives and he's going to complete all that he wants to do in our lives until we are with him. Now, just remember, we've said this before, but remember that faith is knowledge. We have to know what the Bible says. Assent, we have to take it to be true. And then the final one, which is always the hardest one, we have to trust We have to trust. We have to put the weight of our life on what God has said. We talk, we, you know, I'll give an example. We talk often around here about the four rules of communication, which I really messed up in first service, Uh, but they are be honest, keep current. This is from Ephesians 4. Be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not the person, and act, don't react. Those are the four rules of communication. And they're easy to know them. I've got them memorized. They're easy to believe that those are good ways to communicate. They're biblical ways to communicate. They're God's ways of us communicating. But it's that moment, right? It's that moment where there's something that needs to be said to the other person that has the potential of being explosive. But you know that it needs to be said. It's true. It, and, it, and it needs to be said to that person in a timely fashion because you see that person going down a bad road And you say to yourself, eh, somebody else will tell them. Because if I tell them, if I'm honest, I'm putting myself in a situation where it may hurt me or it may hurt hurt their feelings. And so that's the tough part. The trusting is the tough part. God asks us to trust him. And that means not only hearing his word, but doing it. So what does, this, what does Ruth chapter 3 point to? Here it is. The answer to the question is, the events of Ruth chapter 3, though not known at the time, and this is the beautiful part of Scripture, right? If Samuel wrote Ruth, and he wrote it about actual people, Ruth and Boaz and, and Naomi and all these folks, if he wrote it and he wrote about, then under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, though it was not maybe known to him, he was writing about things to come. And now that we have the totality of scripture in front of us, we can see clearly that this Ruth chapter three account is a clear depiction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in your application section today, which I left blank, I simply have a question for you, uh, for each and every one of you, which is, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior from sin? 
Is that true for each one of you in this room? Have you trusted? Is that true for those of you that are watching online? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your savior from sin? Have you come prepared to turn away from your sin? Have you come submitting yourself to Christ, understanding he's the only way? Have you come listening to his word? And folks, I just got to remind you, you can't listen to his word if you don't read it. So are you in his word on a consistent basis so you can understand what God is trying to tell you? Have you received the gift of eternal life and received the promised Holy Spirit in your life? And are you trusting him? Are you resting the weight of him, uh, uh, resting the weight of your life on him by trusting what he has to say? I pray that that's true of you. But if it's not, here's the good news. Today, that door of salvation is wide open. And after this service, Greg Fusel is going to be down here and he'd like to pray for you. And I'm going to be out there and I'd love to talk to you or pray for you. You could even uh, just say, Pastor Scott, let's go out for lunch. A, a, a fella did that after first service. A fella come up to me and said, let's go out for lunch and let's talk about this. I, I couldn't be more excited. I really, I can't be more excited than to have that happen. So, if you're sitting there going, oh, I don't want to bother. Is it Scott's busy? Greg's busy. They don't want to hear my sobs. We want to hear. We want to talk to you. We want to show you how you can have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But perhaps you're, you've already made that decision. Then today becomes a little bit about more about self-examination. Are you turning away from your sin? Are you submitting your life to Christ? Are you listening to his word by being in it? Are you rejoicing in the gifts that you've received, eternal life and the Holy Spirit? And are you practicing at resting the weight of your life on him by trusting him? So Christian, that's where you're at. If that's where you're at today, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Those are the questions that you can ask yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this glorious day. It's a day that we've, we've been enabled to come together, to open up your word, to sing songs, to encourage one another, and to be challenged uh, in the things of this life, to be challenged in what we value and challenged in what we hold dear, challenged in how we're living, the use of our hands and feet and the, the treasures that you've given us stewardship over. Father, let's not, I, I pray that we would not let this day pass before those of us that don't know you as Lord and Savior would, would begin the journey to make that clear. And those of us that do would dedicate ourselves more fully to the relationship that we have with you by doing the things that we talked about here this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.